Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of Strictly Real, a podcast where you get to hear us ramble about films for about an hour or so. I am your co-host, Richie, and as always, I am joined by Chris. If you're wondering what qualifies us to talk about these, well, it's nothing really. We're just two guys that have degrees in film. Chris, say hello. Hey, what's up, everybody? So in this week, uh, our main segment of the show is our best picture breakdown. Every episode uh, of the Strict Real podcast, we will pick a best picture winning film at random from the Academy Awards throughout its history and give our thoughts, opinions, and review on that particular movie. Uh, for this episode, uh, we'll be discussing the film uh, 12 Years a Slave, which won Best Picture from the 86th uh, Academy Awards in uh, 2013. Very exciting. Yeah, so a uh, brief uh, synopsis of the film for those who don't know. Um, 12 Years a Slave came out in 2013, uh, directed by Steve McQueen. Um, and it's a biographical drama film. Um, funny enough, when I watched it on Hulu, uh, it actually listed it as a horror movie, um, which is kind of strange, but totally makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, a film based off of a, a memoir um, from uh, an actual slave back in 1853. Uh, it was uh, written by Solomon Northrup which uh, the movie is about. And um, it's an African-American man who was kidnapped in Washington, D.C. by two con men in 1841 and uh, sold into slavery. Uh, he was put into the work on the plantations in the state of Louisiana for 12 years before being released, hence the name. Um, and it's a really powerful um, movie. Uh, what did you think about it, Richie? Uh, I'd have to agree. You know, it's... I, it's a very powerful, very, uh, I don't know if what touching is the right word, but it, it really affects you when you watch it. For sure. Basically the best way I can say that. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really, um, like I said, powerful, horrific movie that doesn't really hold any punches. So yeah, this, uh, this film was really incredible. Uh, I guess we can talk about a couple aspects of it. Um, I'll start with the acting uh, the lead actor, Chuetel Ejiofor, was incredible. Uh, I thought he really brought um, a really vulnerable human side uh, to the story of uh, Solomon Northrup. Um, you really can see the struggle and the pain in his performance, particularly through some sections uh, where they're not afraid to really soak in the emotion of the moment. Um, I think you can really see uh, the prowess of his performance um, for this character uh, through his eyes. Um, and it, it's a really strong uh, performance. And I mean, in just general, I think the, the acting was fantastic for this film. I mean, you had so many great actors. Uh, the casting was fantastic. I mean, in, in my opinion, um, I think if casting was a uh, category back then. It, it's coming into the Academy Awards, I think, this upcoming Oscar season um, in 2025, 26, however you want to categorize it. I think the 87th um, Academy Awards. Um, I think that this film, uh, 12 Years a Slave in 2013, would have been nominated for Best Casting 
Um, I mean, you have uh, actors like Michael Fassbender, Paul Giamatti, Benedict Cumberbatch, Paul Dano, Brad Pitt, who was also a producer for this film. Um, you had uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. If this, uh, if best, if best casting had been a uh, a category for the for the Oscars back then, I think this would have been nominated. And quite frankly, probably could have won. You know, the the entire cast is just absolutely stacked from from top to bottom. I mean, you, you know, you you know, Chiwete is absolutely outstanding in his role as Solomon. You know, there's a certain pain in his performance every time you watch this. It just it, it hits you a little harder, you know, because you, you notice certain things like one thing I notice is you when you watch from start to end, you know, there's a certain scene where he ends up joining, every, you know, all the other slaves singing. And, you know, you when you lead up to that point, he's a very out, not outstanding per se, but outstanding from the group. But in that moment when he starts singing, it's almost like he's finally been broken. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, that that's that's a that's a really good point. He, it, it's like he's he's finally been broken by his captors, and he's finally, you know, assimilated himself into that role in in society down there. But you know, as you see, you know, later on, he still has a hope in him, and I think part of that is just Choetti's performance as well, because he he. It, you know, he encapsulates these emotions so perfectly. For sure, I totally agree. Um, I think what is really interesting about this story and uh, uh, this film, um, I, I watched some uh, interviews uh, about this film, particularly from uh, the director, Steve McQueen, and um, he said he really wanted to focus on the story of a free man, not a slave um, and I think that's a really powerful sentiment to the way this narrative is shown, uh, particularly because, you know, Solomon is a free man who gets kidnapped and thrown into slavery, um, unrightfully so, and uh, basically has to, you know, assimilate to that that lifestyle and, and stay alive. I mean, there's a really powerful quote from the movie, um, where uh, Solomon's character says, I don't want to survive, I want to live. And I think that's a, a really um, strong sentiment to the the story of, of Solomon Northrup, um, you know, uh, going through uh, multiple different um, slave masters and, and going through all that he did. Um, and it, it's, it's a really, really strong and human uh, story to to see that that vulnerable side of him breaking from a free man, um, and then you know being pushed into slavery and really losing hope. But I think the thing that uh, um, Chiwetti really does a great job at is is really keeping that character's hope alive all the way to the end, um, which is is a, a fantastic ending. I'm you know not all endings uh, back then or in any time. Uh, with slavery has uh, a good ending, but um, but this story does have, uh, I guess, what you could say, a good ending, um, and it's it's a, a really powerful performance on Chiwetti's point. But I think in general, all of the cast was really fantastic. Lupita's performance, uh, especially, I, I think that I mean, there's so many scenes where you can see uh, how dehumanizing um, slavery is 
uh, to anyone, but particularly Lupita's character. I mean, that, that, uh, the lashing scene with Michael Fassbender, um, I mean, it's truly heartbreaking. It, it, it was, for me, this was, this was my first time seeing it. I, I think Richie had seen it before, so this was a rewatch. But, uh, for me, this is my first time, and it was really difficult to watch, um, most scenes in this film because you know you just can't believe the horrific nature that any human would do this to someone else but but also um just the the graphic uh you know horrible things that michael fassbender's character did um and uh it's lupita's uh you know performance I, i think really set that apart from other movies of similar nature. It, it, it's funny that that's the scene that you mentioned. Cause right when you said that, that's what, that's what popped into my brain was, was that last, was that last scene. Um, all, you know, seeing just how desperate she was, you know, the character of Tassie, just wanting soap, wanting to feel human again, to feel clean. And just like the desperation in her voice and just the pain that she was able to, you know, you know, through her infliction of how she spoke, her body language was just outstanding. And then, you know, adding in, you know, and the lashings and then adding in uh Fastman's character and then Chiwete. It's really, you know, it they all complement each other really well because you see, you know, Solomon's hesitation to to take part in it, but knowing that if he doesn't, he's next. And you can see even the pain in uh, in Fastbender's character in Edwin's eyes, because you know he doesn't want to hurt her either, but he knows he has to. He has to set a point to uh, to every to all the other slaves, and you know you cannot disobey me. As much as as much as it hurts him, he did what he had to do. Yeah, I mean that that that's an interesting point. I think uh, really the thing about. Um that section that I took from it, uh, for, for Michael Fassbender, um, not, he wanted, uh, um, Solomon to do the lashing. Um, I I think it's, it's, you know, he knows how horrible it is, but he, he doesn't want to be, to be blamed for it. And also he has this special, um, really terrible, uh, connection, attraction to, um, Patsy, uh, Lupita's character. Um, and, uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's really interesting, uh, particularly when I was looking at interviews for this, uh, section, um, uh, Steve McQueen, uh, mentioned that he really wanted that scene to feel like a whirlwind, like, like a storm that kept circling and the emotions kept getting, uh, more and more powerful. And I think that's really interesting with the, um, you know, cinematography that they did for that section where they, uh, essentially it's a long take where they just, you know, go around in circles, cycling around that, that one pole where, um, Patsy is, is getting lashed at and where it just kind of goes around. It's a really interesting metaphor, um, for the emotions and everything going on during that scene. But also, uh, I think it was depicted very well, um, to, to have, that in that long take. That's something that this film really does a, a great job, in my opinion. Um, it, it does not shy away from long takes. Um, uh, this film was shot uh, in 35 millimeter um, film, which is awesome. Love analog film. Um, 
uh, but having that in like the the widescreen aspect ratio and having those long takes um, uh, is 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 great. Um, did you have any opinions on the long takes, Richie? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I would agree. I think the long takes they really they add something to this film that you know you don't see in a lot of others because considering of how fast Hollywood like pacing is nowadays, it's something that really really kind of breaks from that mold. And I, it adds so much, and it really helps like with like that idea, like the whirlwind of emotions and like that tornado, because like it that scene, I think that that statement is exactly like how I would describe it, because like every emotion you feel just keeps getting you know it builds greater and is getting intertwined with everything else, and you know every every shot just really pulls you more into it and helps build up that emotion. Definitely. Um... There's so many scenes in this film which really uh, lean into the long take. Um, one that uh, I thought was really profound was the section where um, uh, Solomon is uh, being hanged. It's just mul multiple long takes uh, of him just, you know, dangling, hanging from from this tree, and it's it's really interesting to see. Um, that he's just hanging there and no one is, you know, really helping him. I, I think one character um, uh, who is a slave uh, comes over and gives him water. But, you know, you just see that the world, you know, is still moving on without him, that everybody is going on with their day. And there's so many sections of this film where where people are dying, people are getting buried, people are getting tortured and, and killed and, and, you know, the way that that slavery impacted everybody in this environment, you know, they had to continue to move forward. So I think that especially is um, powerful in that section where Solomon is being hanged or where he's hanging from the tree and uh, the world just keeps going uh, around him as if nothing is going on, if nothing exists. Um, and I think it was also really interesting um, that uh, Joe Walker, the uh, editor for the film, he mentioned that they really wanted that scene to feel natural. Um, so Hans Zimmer, the composer for the film, there was no music during that section where Solomon is uh, um, hanging from the tree. And I think that uh, that's an interesting and, and very uh, useful um, decision um, from the filmmakers to, to have no um, uh, music over top and, and it's just using the natural sounds of the Louisiana, you know, environment, um, all the cicadas uh, and everything just kind of depicting this picture as, as, you know, this is just a normal day in the life of a slave, which is truly heartbreaking and horrible. Um, and really, uh, you can see that, that pain and the suffering um, through that long take. It really soaks up in that moment and, and portrays that to the audience. Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, I agree. You know, I... The long take is very, it's particularly painful and useful, like in that scene in particular. Cause, like you said, it just, this is just such a normal, like everyday part of their life, you know, in that time period that seeing someone get, you know, hung or tortured or whatever was happening to a person, it was just so numbing to them because it's something they're used to seeing every single day. So the idea of he's right there, but no one's able to come help him because this is just something that they're so used to at this point. And that, that idea is just so, it's so painful to think about. And there's a point in it where um, the, uh, the, the the overseer, 
you know, he, he ends up, you know, he saves the North up before, you know, he actually getting hung and he leaves him there because he knows it's not his job to, to cut him down. And that just kind of sees too, how everyone is fit into the role, knowing that this is wrong, but they're so embedded into their role in society that they know they shouldn't do anything about it. And the whole scene in particular, just, it's a really great representation of that. Definitely. Um, that's, that's an interesting, uh, you know, insight to, to kind of the systemic reasons, um, or, or this, the systemic issues of slavery and that it, it was, it was not only, you know, an ethically and horrible, um, thing, um, racially motivated as well, but it was also, um, a business. Uh, it was, it was a lifestyle, um, during that time in American history. And, and I think that's what this film does a really great job is, is going through, you know, these 12 years as Solomon is a slave and really showing the cycle, the business of, of slavery and how it, you know, not only is, you know, for producing, you know, labor and product and everything, um, but it's also a, a business of dehumanizing um, everybody's basic human needs. Um, and, you know, it's, it, that one section... Um, where Paul Giamatti um, is is selling the the slaves, um, and that's where uh, Solomon's um, you know the character of Solomon uh, becomes a slave for Benedict Cumberbatch's household. You know it's it's almost like they're selling livestock. You know selling animals. Um, the, the psychological damage. Um, you know not only physically but it's also this 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 you know mental trauma. That is being put onto these people. I think that's what this film really does uh, a great job at um, at depicting, and that that's you know kudos to the writing um, from John uh, Ridley, um, who won Best Adapted Screenplay, and then also um, with the uh, acting performances. I mean, just stellar all across the board, and I think it really shows that uh, you know the the physical torture and horrors but also the psychological impact that slavery had on people oh yeah i mean uh john ridley just has wrote some amazing films you know he's on this he did ben Hur, he did uh undercover brother which i not great but it's a very fun film if you haven't seen it, i would recommend it it's a it's a parody film like parody black exploitation um spoofs a lot about james bond again i highly recommend it. it's very funny um but he he is writing in this film really was able to help depict you know just life and really just hitting on each character and you know, just the general overall like lifestyle of you know you know the 1840s you know america you know you see that that heavy divide between, you know, the free states and then, you know, the Confederate South. And he depicts it so well. And it's just, it's kind of just insane to think about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just, I, like I said, I mean, this being my first watch for it, it, it was, it was really difficult. Um, I mean, it, there was, there were sections where I was like, maybe uh, on the brink of, of tearing up because it was just so horrible. Um, and, and I think that, that, you know, not only the performance and, and the, the writing, but also, um, I mean, those sections where the physical torture is happening, they, they really, you know, thought about it. Um, so the, uh, I was watching the interview um, for behind the scenes for some things and they, um, 
one of the um, makeup artists um, who's doing the prosthetics, um, that one section where uh, Lupita is getting um, flashed, uh, that, that big, you know, penultimate scene, the makeup artist was discussing how they did the prosthetics and the makeup on Lupita's back um, to kind of look like a history of lashings, a history of, of being whipped. Um, so not only is it, you know, all the lashings that happened during that really powerful scene um, with Michael Fassbender and Solomon's um, character, um, but also, uh, you know, that that Lupita had been been lashed in the in the past. So it's almost like this compounding history of of, you know, just horrible atrocities, physical um, damage uh, on there. And I think that's a props to the makeup and prosthetics team. I think it was really well done. Um, there's also that section at the beginning of the film um, when Solomon is first um, captured and uh, you know kidnapped and and then put into slavery and he's like in that cell and they they have this like low angle long take where he's just getting beat just constantly beat and um, like the wooden paddle like breaks. I think it's just such a, a small minute detail, but but to the point where someone is hitting you so hard that the object that they're hitting you with breaks. I mean, it's it's small little details like that that really, I think, comes across to the viewer that this is just truly horrible um, and and just horrific, uh, the, the atrocities that are happening um, back then and then also depicted within this film. I mean, I agree. I mean, small little details like that, and it's in inherent in, in any film, those small, minute details that you're talking about, can really make or break because like that small thing can be such a catalyst for something important. And I, you know, I actually don't think I've noticed that this, this watch around the paddle breaking, uh, maybe I should have been paying more attention. Um, but I mean, I, I, that scene, that the beginning scene, like, you know, where he's chained up like that, you know, props to, um, makeup and, you know, staging and pro, you know, all the props, you know, the prop department, you know, to all of them, you know, they've done such a fantastic job this, you know, the entire film and, you know, everything that you see, you know, when they look, you know, super tired and like, you know, all the makeup that has to go into making them look tired and, you know, dirty and the way that they are just treated and the way that's shown on their body. Just think about the, the, the hours of prosthetics and makeup that had to be done to go into that, I think is outstanding work. And, you know, especially as, you know, that, that, um, scene, there is, you know, that layering of makeup and prosthetics on her back and just on her body to, to kind of show that timeline of her entire life. Like it's, it's just outstanding work. And, and definitely the, the paddle as well, you know, as like you were saying, the fact that you're as a human being capable of holding in so much anger and hatred towards another person that like you're saying that the object you're using physically is just ends up snapping on you. It's, it's, mind-numbing and painful i keep using that word painful but that's because that's what this that's what that experience for you know slaves was it was a painful horrible experience and that and 12 years of slave really is able to draw that out in the entire you know throughout the um, duration of the film just in every aspect but like you said the small little details like the paddle breaking just hit on that perfect yeah uh definitely and, and i think um you know 
there's just so many things that this film does well and and i i think it has to do with uh the adapted screenplay um from uh the same memoir autobiography from solomon northrup uh 12 years a slave um i think you know he just had such a a detailed uh recount of of his experience and i think that really helps in the the writing and the the making of this film um you know of course props to the to the team and everybody who who made that film possible but but additionally i i think that the adapted um source material really supported um the the emotion and and the the feeling um that solomon felt throughout his uh his experience um in slavery and i think it it really shows in in not only the the psychological and and uh you know physical horrors that that he saw and also um you know received uh but also i think it's the fear um that slavery really gave him i mean uh john ridley the writer uh of this film said that you know communication is so easy now you know we have cell phones we have technology we can easily communicate with each other but in the 1840s um you know writing a letter um or you know telling someone in person was about the only way you could communicate anything so um having a slave who was educated and uh, could read and write um was not only um a danger to uh its you know to their slave masters but but also it was a danger to um the the slaves themselves uh to writing a letter was was life or death back then um and i think that's really powerful in that one section uh where he's writing that letter um solomon's character is writing that letter to, uh and uh trying to get um the white slave um i believe his name was armsby um and he tries to uh get him to send the letter and then um armsby uh you know is freed and and then betrays solomon i think it's a truly heartbreaking section i mean i i was definitely not seeing that um at all uh during my my watch i, I was not expecting that um and i think it's just really powerful i keep saying powerful but it's there's just so many aspects of this film with the the psychological um fear and and physical nature uh that you see uh given to to all these characters and the slaves uh that you know are written from the original source material just heartbreaking things yeah uh to your point about uh you know communication too you know in in the section where he's talking to i fit's character you know samuel bass and he finally gets to open up to him about you know hey this is you know this is who i really am i'm not supposed to be here i was kidnapped can you get this letter to my family in today's world it's just like that you know snap of a finger you can communicate with this person or that person i can call someone i can send a text you know i can send an email hell even now if you send a letter you're almost guaranteed to get that letter in what two to three days yeah and but back then you know it took months you know if, if at all if for someone to get that letter you were sending them you know i could send a letter to you now and it might not get to you for six months by that point that letter is null and void what's in it does not matter and so it's it's taking that risk to try to to free himself that you know he he knew he had to take as like you know and you know it burns him at first with honesty like you were saying you know to to have the to have it within him to to try again 
to speak to someone else who he feels like he can trust, which is not something he has in a lot of people. You know, RFE destroys that, you know, uh, Ford, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, ends up destroying that trust. Granted, not of his own doing, but because he has to. He has so little trust in people to give it one more chance to, I want to trust you to do this for me, to keep me, help keep me safe and get me back to where I belong. Um, it's, it's, it's really, you know, as you were saying, powerful because it's, it's, I know this will take time and I hope that you will do this for me. You know, as we know, Bass ends up agreeing to do it, which shows, you know, his character, the, the small amount of t a screen time that the character does get, you know, his humanity. Cause you know, you see him go up against, uh, Fassbender's character in, in his treatment of of the slaves and you know the fact that they are humans and willing to do this it's it shows his humanity in seeing them seeing slaves and you know in particular Solomon as his fellow man so willing to do that for him is just you know and you, you know powerful like you were saying yeah for sure um I mean I, I just think generally like the the writing the direction and the acting um, really stellar for this film, um, so so important uh, and prevalent uh, to, I mean anybody. Uh, I, I think it, it's it's really a film that anybody should watch. While it is a difficult um, thing to to be shown, uh, I, I think it's it's truly important. And and speaking of that, it, it actually was just uh, selected for preservation last year uh, in twenty twenty three. Um, for the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress um, as being a culturally, historically, or uh, aesthetically significant film. Um, and it's actually the, uh, unless it's changed since it was dominated, or I mean selected last year, uh, I believe it's the most recent um, film to be put into the, the National Film Registry, um, which, is, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. Um, so... I, I really think that that um, speaks uh, a lot about how important this film is um, just on a, on a story level, but also, um, you know, within film history, you know, just breaking it down to the, the most bare bones. I mean, just adapting this screenplay and having, you know, this, you know, be portrayed in such a, a you know, powerful uh, story about human atrocities um, and, you know, showing those those experiences and performances on, you know, on the silver screen. I, I think it's really something that uh, that should be looked at further um, and and at the at the very least uh, look at its cultural and, and um, historical impact. I mean, let me let's just let's just face and say it. There's a reason this one best picture, because you know you you said it. You know the the writing is phenomenal. There's a reason one best adapted screenplay. The the casting is a phenomenal. There's a reason Lupita won best supporting actress. There's a reason uh, other ones other people to Chiwetta and uh, was it Mike? I think Michael Fassbender were nominated for for best for best acting uh, Oscars. There's a reason that it was nominated for all these awards. There's a reason, as you were saying, you know the. The casting, the writing, the directing, the cinematography, the just everything about this just culturally cultivated into a like a perfect film. And I don't and I don't use the term perfect film lightly, but this is in all means a perfect film. And I think that it, it, it won and for, for good reason. It deserved it.
Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of, of, you know, just kind of the competition, the landscape that happened um, for this film's nomination during the 86th Academy Awards, um, for Best Picture, uh, the nominations were 12 Years a Slave, which obviously won, um, and then uh, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, uh, Dallas Buyers Club, uh, Gravity, Nebraska, uh, Philomena, and um, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so just, you know, definitely a, a stack to Best Picture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really great, uh, great nominated list. Um, there's some some really solid films in there. But I will say, I mean, I haven't seen all of those nominated pictures, but I've seen a good majority of them, which is surprising. Um, but I've seen a good bit of them. And uh, I, I would definitely say 12 Years a Slave deserved it. I mean, you could make a, you know, uh, an argument for for one film or the other, but I, I think it it for sure uh, deserved the nomination for best picture, and I can totally see uh, why it won. And, and in my opinion, I, I just with its its cultural and historical impact, um, and then also just in general as a film, it's it's very very well done. Uh, I think I probably would would make it uh, would have it win best picture if if I had to vote. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I haven't seen every film on that was nominated that year. I've seen, I've seen, you know, a handful. I still have a couple I need to watch. But of the ones I did, you know, when it comes to Oscars, you know, every year when you look at, you know, nominations, you're always, you usually figure out, okay, this is my front runner. This is more like what I think is going to end up winning. Or you have those years where it's like, eh, I don't really know what's going to win. You know, it could be this thing or it could be that thing. I think, I think when you come to this year, came to this year, um, I mean, there were a few different ones I could have seen winning. I know Dallas Buyers Club, a lot of people was, you know, were really high on. You know, Gravity is an amazing film. Wolf of Wall Street, you can never count on Martin Scorsese. But I think, I think 12 Years a Slave was always, maybe not always, but was, you know, in that pack and kind of like leading up front too. Because I remember when this came out, I remember just hearing, you know, all of the, the, the critical claim and the raves it got. So it just, it kind of felt like it would... It was definitely one of those, like, you know, on that short list, of, this is probably going to end up winning. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I, I think that that's, it speaks volumes for being nominated for nine categories. Um, I mean, it won three of them. And uh, I, I think it's 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 a great film. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, I would say, you know, it, at least for its, you know, uh, kind of like a, a biopic film, I mean, it's, it's up there probably the best biopic or one of the best uh it's definitely a, a perfect film in in a lot of aspects um and and really well done and and i think that uh that it's it's a film that that should be talked about more and and will be continued to be discussed uh moving forward um just because of its historical and cultural impact um and and i think it's great that it was uh selected for the national film registry um uh for the archives to be to be put in there so it's there for history um and I, I think it's it's a great film i really uh while it was a hard watch i i did very much enjoy uh watching it and and diving deeper into the uh to the background and and the story i'm actually interested in in um ordering uh solomon northrup's uh um biography soon i, I might i might put that in my amazon cart and uh get that and give it a read but it really really powerful stuff yeah um Speaking of uh, the National Film Registry, I just looked it up. It is still the most uh, recent uh, year of release film to be inducted. 
you know, there's a 10 year gap between its release and production. Um, there is another one from 2013. It's a, it's a documentary 20 feet from stardom, but those are the two most recent ones. And that one was also, uh, inducted in 2023 as well. Interesting. It's interesting that there's a, there's a 10 year gap, um, to, uh, I guess, get, uh, to be, you know, valid for, for voting, um, for it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who votes for that. I guess it would be the national film registry. I don't know if there's like more voters for that. I'm not, I'm not sure. There's a preser there's a preservation board that, um, I would assume is the one that end up voting and they're the ones that select it every year. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I do have, I do have a side question for that, but, but just closing thoughts. Um, I I'm pretty much done talking about 12 Years a Slave, but, but closing thoughts, uh, if you had to give it a, a general rating, what do you think you would give it? Yeah, I mean, I if I had to give this a uh, a rating, I would say it's like a 5 out of 5, a 10 out of 10. I mean, I, I would recommend anyone end up watching this. I, it's such a uh, magnificent film. It's so spectacular. Um, just every single part of it. And I think anyone can appreciate that, whether you have, you know, like, you know, something like it's like a degree in film or you're just, you know, an average film goer. Um I think you can appreciate this film and everything that it's brought to the industry and just the societies in general. I, I, I would recommend it to anyone. And so, yeah. What about you? What would you rate it? Yeah, I, I probably would rate it a five out of five or, or a 10 out of 10. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's, you know, some things you, you could probably pick apart on it. Um, you know, well, that uh, that's with any film though. That's, that's true. I mean, I guess, you know, Everything is subjective. Uh, you know, one person's perfect film is not going to be someone else's perfect film. But personally, I think this is, um, at least for biopic standards, I mean, as close as you can get to perfect. It's it's a really uh, impactful film that that makes you, you know, feel a range of emotions while you're watching it, uh, and and really think about things and and just you know, kind of, I guess, have this self retrospection that, you know, like, you just can't believe that anybody would treat. A human being that horribly um and, and it's just i think it's a great film um i was uh you know it's definitely a hard watch but I, i'm very excited that i i finally gave it a shot and um was able to to watch it because of this episode awesome yeah um uh but going back to uh just a, a quick sidebar because i'm interested to see what you would say if you uh, you know now well i guess you know 2013 or be uh you know before it is there any film that you would uh want to be in the national film registry from 2013 and before if you could if you could put one film in there what is it i mean i before you could put the 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 timeline on 2013 and before i had a couple films that immediately popped into my mind ones that i think eventually will end up going in there parasite anything over there everything everywhere all month i think once it hits you know whatever their criteria is for this is how long a film needs to be out. I think those will definitely go into it. But from 2013 or before, that's a tough one. I mean, there are, you know, a lot of amazing films, you know, every year. So it's, I mean, that's tough. That is a, that's a tough question. What would you, uh, what would you put in there? Well, uh, clearly I would put my favorite film of all time, Dougal. It's got to go in there. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, in all honesty, 2013 and before, um, thinking of just like films that are, that are really, um, I, I, so I'm not looking at the list currently. Are there any Pixar films that are in there? Um, I actually have it up at the moment. I am 
see DreamWorks. I see Wally. I am only seeing Wally. Okay. Um I would say I would say there there's definitely maybe some some more Pixar movies. Wally makes sense. Toy Story, so I, I do see Toy Story as well. Okay, Toy Story and Wally, that that makes sense. I I mean I think there's a lot of animated um films that could easily go in there um for their their impact on you know animation history and and just the the film landscape in general um i mean i i will say it, you know 2013 uh i can't say that i'm a huge fan of it but just culturally speaking uh i could definitely see frozen being put in there oh for for sure for the impact it had on on on, on pop culture definitely yeah um trying to think uh are there any studio ghibli movies in there i mean i feel like spirited away you got to put that in there um i mean uh, grave of the fireflies really i do not do not see any wow um yeah i would definitely definitely put some studio ghibli films in there i mean just like cultural and and pop culture uh you know significance i mean spirited away um you know, it's not my favorite Ghibli film, but My Neighbor Totoro is great. Um, you know, kind of the the flagship film for for Studio Ghibli. Uh, then you got you know, Grave of the Fireflies. I think that without a doubt should be in there um, just for its historical and cultural significance. In a, in a way, it's it's kind of similar to Twelve Years a Slave. Um, obviously, not uh, directly based off of um, an autobiography. Or anything, but you know, has you know historical uh, references, and and you know, um, I'm sure they they you know referenced a lot of firsthand experiences. Um, uh, but I think that film is fantastic. It had me in absolute tears, um, and it's just historically and culturally very important. Um, similar to Twelve Years a Slave, so I, I could see that totally being um, put in there. Yeah. So you mentioned animated films, and I had to look it up. So it was in there. Akira, I would put Akira into uh, the NFR be- just because of it. it's it's significant in, in Western culture because it's really the film that brought you know you know the Japanese you know animation style and anime to to the West. So and it had such an impact then. So I thought I would put that in there for sure. Yeah, Akira is a great one. I mean, there's. I, I would say, I mean, I don't want to say like the the National Film Registry is like you know neglecting animated films because I'm not super familiar with them and 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 all of the you know uh, selected films, anyways. But I will say, in ge- yeah, I, I would say in general though, um, uh, animated films typically are um, uh, neglected. Now, I, I'm not sure is the National Film Registry just for films in general, like on a, on a global scale, or is it only for American made films? Uh, American film heritage. Oh, okay, okay. So then Studio Ghibli would not Zero would not would not uh constant uh, qualify yet. Okay, well, I mean, I guess that narrows it down a little bit. But I mean, uh, I think Shrek was selected recently. Um, Shrek, Shrek is in there. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I mean, that makes sense. Uh, Shrek, Shrek was was definitely uh, a culturally significant film. Um, really, kind of still continues to be one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it really uh, kind of jump-started DreamWorks. Um, I mean, it's probably their highest-grossing franchise, I would say. I, I just off the top of my head, I, I would say it 
probably is. Uh, maybe How to Train Your Dragon is more... This is just me, like, thinking. I, I actually don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, I just looked it up. DreamWorks' highest grossing film of all time is Shrek 2. Okay, good, because that's my favorite one. Shrek 2 for DreamWorks. Number 2 would be Transformers, uh, Revenge of the Fallen. 3 is Transformers. DreamWorks did... I guess they... I did not know they did. I guess they did the the some of the animation for those. Yeah. Interesting. Shrek... First Shrek is this. Um, Madagascar is nine. Okay. Dark Tale is sixteen. A perfect film. Um. Yeah. I mean, I would say though. I mean, Shrek just with its impact and the way it it brought DreamWorks to to that forefront stage. I mean, people probably knew of DreamWorks, you know, before then. But just with the way Shrek has impacted you know society, I mean, you still see memes of Shrek today. You know, there's things you know such things as a Shrek rave. You know, there's there's a reason these things are still around is because of like it's the impact Shrek had on culture back then as it does now. For sure. Um for for better or for worse, I guess, some of those Shrek memes um haunt me to this day. But um but yeah, I mean, uh I I think uh Shrek definitely deserves it. Um but just on, on like a like an American animated film, I mean, uh there's definitely Pixar films out there. There's um uh man, I'm trying to think of some some U.S. based animation. Um, but I mean, there, there's there's plenty. I mean, in in time, uh, since it's like a 10 year, uh, waitlist criteria or whatever. Um, uh, I think uh, you know, into the Spider Verse. Uh, um, for sure. For into sure. that that will be there. Um, I mean, probably across the Spider Verse as well, but at least the first one. Um, I think that that um its influence on you know the animation uh industry and and just the the style uh i mean they literally uh i forgot the technique but they like essentially uh copyrighted um the or patented sorry they patented the um the, one of the techniques that they did on the film just because it was so groundbreaking um uh and uh just um i don't know if that's still valid but at the time they patented it um but uh yeah lots of films that could could definitely be added to the national film registry i would love to be on that committee uh picking films that would definitely be a lot of fun i would agree yeah um well i think we wrapped up uh our initial breakdown of um 12 years a slave uh for those who are interested in watching it um i believe it is streaming on hulu i don't know if it's leaving anytime soon but it's streaming on hulu currently um and uh definitely recommend it um anything else you wanted to talk about richie it's also streaming on paramount plus if you have that as well oh sweet i didn't know that yeah i it it's widely available go watch it you know if you haven't yet if you have a go rewatch it highly recommend it um yeah that's i think it's all i have to say awesome um well uh moving on to uh some other segments um just generally talking about films and the film industry and film news. Um, you watch anything recently that stood out to you? Um, so stood out to me? I mean, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I've been trying to watch a, the shorts for that were nominated for uh, you know best animated short, doc, you know, best doctor for the Oscars this year, and I really liked. Um, I liked Letter to a Pig a lot. Um, that was really, uh, an interesting story. Um, this, you know, 
this this man in the Holocaust being saved by a pig, and it it almost like a love letter to this pig, but not necessarily. Just it is gratitude for saving him, and then seeing like the 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 class he's speaking to, their reaction to him and his story. It's it's heartbreaking, not really heartbreaking per se, but it hurts because like that kind of thing is so relevant. And I think like this hits on that perfectly because you see these people from the older, you know, an older generation have things that we can never even imagine. And for someone to just turn their nose up at them, is just, it's, it's sad that that's reality. Definitely. I highly recommend go watching Letter to a Pig. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really good short. Um, I can totally see why it was nominated. Um, I think the animation is, is really, really great um, for that film. It, it it uses uh, kind of a combination of um, 3D live action and 2D animation. Um, really, uh, you know, unique artistic style, um, which I think does, you know, great uh, recounting kind of this experience um, from, you know, someone who experienced, again, similar to 12 Years a Slave, um, horrible atrocities uh, of the Holocaust. Um, but then having that, you know, perspective from from a child and, uh, you know, leading into a deeper narrative that the film kind of does. It's uh, or a short watch, um, given that it's nominated for the shorts. But uh, I, I definitely recommend it. It's 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 a good one. Agreed. I also I also recently ended up watching. Um, excuse me. Um, Sleepaway Camp for the first time, the 1983 uh, horror film. Very, very fun watch very creative kills in it um i'm not gonna spoil anything because i know you haven't seen it chris and i know maybe a lot of people probably haven't he said uh very fun creative the twist at the end is very surprising um but to actually see it come to fruition it's kind of like wow like i can't believe like that's the twist and it, it works so well with it another one i would highly recommend yeah, it's uh, it's definitely on my list of of those kind of uh, I guess you know, classic, uh, campy slashers. Um, I, I definitely want to give it a watch at some point. Um, but yeah, uh, that that's that's awesome. Uh, we we always love a good slasher uh horror movie. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of them, even if they're sometimes maybe not the best films, but I think they they have uh you know their own individualistic charm and um you know can really be creative in their own unique way yeah how about you chris what have what uh what have you watched lately i've been i've been watching a lot uh i've pretty much been neglecting everything else in my life and have gone into the full uh movie goer lifestyle which i don't know if that's a good thing but i've been watching a lot of stuff yeah 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 so um uh i've been watching um little bit of combination of just films that interest me i watched a couple uh like one or two um dc animated films i watched uh batman versus teenage Mutant ninja turtles and uh yeah man that was that was a fun film i mean i can i can admit it's, it's probably not the best thing ever but nostalgic for for nostalgist's uh, sake uh you know like nine-year-old me was like so excited because you have Batman and then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like perfect combo um I really want to give the the comic series that they have a shot I, I think it's it's really cool I mean having Batman fight you know Shredder is like awesome like what what more can you ask for 
Um, so that that was that was really fun. Um, I definitely recommend it if anybody's a, a DC uh, fan or a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. Uh, it was really enjoyable. Um, I mean, again, not going to be the the you know cinematic masterpiece of, of any in any way, but it, it, it was really fun um, to watch. I also um, watched uh, Saw Ten last night. That your first time seeing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my first time watching Saw 10. I, I didn't watch it when it came out. Um, and uh, so I watched it last night. And uh, man, that was a crazy movie. Yeah, Saw 10 was... Uh, it, that, that was definitely a film. I mean, I, I watched it in theaters when it first came out. And, you know, it, it was really... I didn't particularly like a lot of like the, the later Saw sequels and the spinoffs that they ended up doing. I really liked Saw 10 just because of... You know, it felt like it really got brought back to what the franchise was with Saw 1 and Saw 2. You know, it was, it was you know, John Kramer in his setting, you know, going after the people that were that really deserved to be in his traps instead of what the later films turned out to be. For sure, yeah. I think that's what's so strange about Saw 10, which I really enjoyed, was... um that I actually was kind of rooting for John Kramer. Like, most of the films... Yeah, so was I. Yeah, yeah, most of the films, like, he's, you know, putting kind of innocent people into traps. Like, there's, like, I think... I don't remember which Saw film, but there's, like, one, maybe Saw 6 or something, where he, like, he's, like, a janitor who's, like, a chain smoker. Yeah, I, I, that's funny. You were gonna you were saying that. That's the, actually who I thought of, too, was that, that right there was that one. Yeah, such an innocent man. He's so he smokes. Yeah. There's, That's not a reason to put him into your. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like in the later Saw films, kind of how John Kramer like traps people and like why he does it. Uh, I mean, again, he's a serial killer, crazy lunatic guy. But I mean, in this in Saw Ten, like I was kind of rooting for him because like the people that he trapped were like awful. Like not not to go into spoilers or anything, but uh, uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, but it, it was definitely. Uh, bring back to more of its roots. I think it also helps that it's kind of during that. I think between Saw One and Two, I think that's where the timeline is. It is. You you'd be correct. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it mean it had some some really like brutal and like slow uh like traps and and kills and stuff. Like I, I thought like there were there were sections. I mean, in general, it's you know it's kind of torture porn um esque things. That's what the Saw franchise always has been. It's just torture porn. Yeah, essentially. So, like, there's going to be some, like, truly gruesome, horrific, you know, traps and kills in it. But, like, at least in the later iterations, like, they're very elaborate and, like, outrageous, like, crazy, crazy traps. Whereas, like, this one, it's 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 really, like, cringeworthy things where, which are very rooted in, like, people, I don't know, uh, doing you know, certain tasks to, like, you know, win the game. Um, but, like, there were just sections where it was just so slow and, like, terrible, like, great sound design and, and, and also uh, huge props to the to the effects team. But, like, I was, like, gritting my teeth through, like, multiple traps because it's just, like, horrible. Um, I feel like I feel like I know exactly what what strap you're talking about, too. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton, but, like, I, I, thought, I thought it was great. Um, I mean, they're not, like... Because they're more of those slow, um, methodical, yeah, methodical, brutal traps. I wouldn't say they're as noteworthy as some of the, um, or or as memorable as some of the other traps that are like just 
absolutely bonkers, outrageous. Um, in some of the uh, what I like about them though is they're not that crazy. Yeah, it, it definitely you you can see in this movie like John he had a motive like he really wanted to like bring these people pain and like I don't know it works really well. Um, I, I I like the direction that they they uh, went with it. Um, it. It really I think kind of brought the Saw franchise back to the forefront. I mean, absolutely insane that the Saw franchise is made as many films as they did. I think it like released in 2004 and they made six films or whatever sequentially, like year after year, all the way to 2010, like they made like films, which like blows my mind. I mean, they're, they're, you know, not the craziest production value um, for like locations. Like for this film, like they mainly used one location, which I think really helped the film. Um, Definitely more uh, methodical, bringing back to its roots a, uh, a simpler story but a really like kind of intriguing story you really kind of care about the characters more um which in other saw movies they kind of just you know the the victims i guess get thrown into things and you're like why are they even here like what did they do <laughs> and then they just get killed like you don't really know um whereas this one like they there's definitely a motive to everything um and i think it really uh, was great. Um, Billy the puppet was cute as ever, riding on his little trike. Um, of course. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, I think. I mean, I don't know if it's like horrible for me to say. I love the Saw franchise. Like, I don't know if that says something bad about me, but <laughs> I love it. I, I don't think so. I, yeah. There's plenty of people out there that enjoy this franchise. No, no matter how trashy it ended up getting, you know, it it's it's still an enjoyable watch. I still I still, you know, I'll sit down and watch it when someone puts it on. For sure, yeah. Um, and, and I think it, it's really interesting. Like, I, I watched um, uh, some behind-the-scenes um, for it a little bit, and they were, like, saying how... I, I think it has to do with the writing and the character direction as well, um, is that they uh, they kind of wanted to get away from the cop drama. Like, it, it you know... And I kind of like that about Saw, don't get me wrong. Like, it, it kind of felt like I was watching, like, a CSI, like, TV movie thing or whatever that was, like, had flashbacks, and it... it Saw is ridiculous. I don't know how it works, but it does. Um, but it, uh, but they really wanted to like kind of take the cops out of it, like the whole drama with that, and then really focus on um, uh, John and Amanda's character. I, I thought it was it was great. Um, Jigsaw is back. Uh, I hope. I think they're in the works to make Saw Eleven. I don't know. They are. It's coming out this year. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where that's going to go or how they're going to do it. I mean, the man has been dying of cancer for a decade now <laughs> and then he died and then he came back but i don't i don't know but but he, john kramer uh is is back um tobin bell i guess will do uh you know will play john kramer until he dies i mean the man's like 80 uh but tobin bell does tobin bell things yeah for sure but um but i i really enjoyed saw uh 10 i mean again not like the best movie ever but for the saw uh uh saw franchise i think it was was definitely one of the better films of the Saw franchise, and it um, uh, has great music. I love the Saw theme. I feel like everybody does. Yeah, it's of course super iconic. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. Other than that, I mean, I just been watching a little bit of of everything. I watched um, Nimona. I love Nimona. Yeah. 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 Good. It it was great. I mean, the the best. I don't know if we'll talk about it in this episode, but um, the uh the animated. Um, pictures, uh, feature-length pictures that were nominated this year. I mean, I think there's an argument for all of them, obviously, since they were nominated. They're they're all really well-done films. 
but I, I think there's a good four in my mind that I I could see a toss up. I mean, they're, they're, the Mona is fantastic. It's probably on the lower echelon of um, my if I had to rank the five that were nominated. But uh, I absolutely love the animation style. I think the writing was super witty and fun. Um, the Mona's character really reminded me of like Tiny Tina from Borderlands, the Borderlands games. And I don't know why I enjoyed that so much. It was it was really fun to have this like chaotic kind of teenage girl like it was just really fun um and i i thought uh it was awesome that they had uh two characters uh that were gay i think that was like not forced it was super well done they felt like a you know a good relationship and everything it was you know really really fun movie um and i i very much enjoyed nimona if, if i could give it a rating i probably would have given it like a like a 4.25 like it's not a five out of five, but it's it's a really great animated film, um, especially in in recent uh, years. It's 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 one of the better ones. No, I think I think I, I think I gave it a four out of five. Which I mean, I, I would stick by that. It's the whole, the story is very it you know wholesome in a way because it's just it's the story of just a man trying to redeem himself and then ends up finding you know a sidekick. Just a story of redemption from in in whole. And just it's the way it's told is just beautiful. The animation, like you said, it's wonderful. You know, it it was different when I first watched it. It was a little different, but then once you like just like give it like you know ten minutes, you're you're engrossed into it. For sure, yeah. It's it's definitely uh, you could say maybe maybe a non mainstream style of animation. Um, definitely a little different. Um, uh, and more unique. But I mean, man, great film. Uh. I'm so glad Netflix picked it up from um, Blue Sky. Uh, Disney really dropped the ball with with that, but um, but I'm glad that it, it Netflix doing something good for it. I know, I know. Uh, I mean, I can't really give them the benefit of the doubt for raising prices, but I guess if they keep releasing stuff like Nimona, maybe it's worth it. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much most of the movies I've watched. I mean, I've been watching a, a bunch of stuff, but those are the the noteworthy ones. Um, anything else uh, you want to talk about? Any film news or anything? Um, well, we're going to talk about just film news in general. Obviously, the Oscars are coming up. I'm excited. We'll probably end up doing an episode about the Oscars. We'll, I know we'll probably all have our opinions on what's happening. I know who, what films I'm rooting for. You know, come come the 10th. I'm, well, you'll hear me talk about it whenever we talk about the Oscars. I'm mad Iron Claw didn't get nominated for anything. But again, you'll hear about that, and whenever that episode comes out, when we do it, yeah, for sure. I I don't want to dive into it too much. We we definitely have an episode fully on uh, Oscar nominations and everything. Uh, but yeah, Iron Claw for sure got uh got robbed in my opinion. But um, but you know it it it, it is the way it is. I I don't I don't have any say in these votes. I'm just a guy who watches way too many movies. Same. Um, yeah. You know other I mean news. Ryan Gosling doing I'm Just Kidding with the Oscars is going to be so much fun. I'm excited. That just know that performance will be, you know, just a fun time to watch. For sure, yeah. I'm I'm definitely excited for that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm Just I'm just Ken was a great was a great song. You know, it's complimented a great film. I, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see him perform it live. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Ryan Gosling, he's a he's a funny guy. Um, uh, I Speaking of Ryan Gosling, though, have you seen the trailers for um, that new movie he's doing with Emily Blunt, um, where he's like the stunt, uh, stunt guy? Uh, maybe. 
I'm trying to think what is the what is the name of the movie? Um, I think it's it's called Fall Guy. The Fall Guy. The Fall Guy. Yeah, yeah. I I have seen a trailer for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it is going to be good, but I will definitely give it a watch. Uh, mainly just because it has Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt, uh, fantastic actors. Um, but uh, but it, it looks like a like a fun watch. You know, I recently watched The Notebook for the first time. I did not realize he. Yeah, I didn't know he was in The Notebook either. Yeah, right. Ryan Gosling is your male lead in it. That's crazy. Him and uh, Rachel McAdams. Uh, we love Rachel McAdams. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I'll have to give it a shot. Uh, that's definitely one of those uh, romance movies that I I haven't. I I, uh, I guess I've been neglecting the the rom com. It, it's definitely my 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 least watched genre. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I I I probably watch more documentaries than I do <laughs> rom coms. I mean, in other news, Anatomy Falls uh, streaming date was released. It's going to be on Hulu on March twenty second. Another very exciting one. Sucks it's not coming until then, and we can't get it on streaming beforehand. Um, that's still one I need to watch. I know it's you know really good. It sounds really interesting. You know, it's just one I'm excited to watch. Just sucks that uh, you know won't be on Hulu until. Until uh, March twenty second, definitely. Um, I, it's it's a great movie. Um, I, I was uh, able to see it in theaters for its limited run. It's the thing about the Oscars that really bums me out that that a lot of these films just don't get a super long runtime in theaters. I mean, some of them do, especially Best Picture winners. I guess they they get out there a little bit, but like you know, animated films like uh, Robot Dreams. I mean, that's barely anywhere. Um, fantastic film. Well, I will say, um, Regal, don't forget, Regal does their, uh, that little festival thing on the leaves of the Oscars. I think that starts on March 3rd, this upcoming Sunday, I think, when they're starting showing all the best pictures in the theater. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's going to include Anatomy of a Fall and, uh, you know, American Fiction and all the rest of them. Yeah, um, for sure. I definitely recommend um, Anatomy of a Fall. It's uh, it's a really well-written and um, acted uh, some I think Sandra Huller was amazing in it, which is crazy that she's in two films that were nominated for for Best Picture. Uh, cause she's in um the Zone of Interest as well, um, which I still haven't seen. But um, yeah, uh, I won't go into depth about it too much, but I definitely recommend it, especially if you like crime, drama, courtroom films. Okay, so I'll have to I'll have to give it a watch. Um, any other film news? Yeah, did you see about the Naked Gun remake? No, the there's a Naked Gun. Yeah, it's been in development hell for like 15 years. It's finally got a release date. That's that's crazy. So, do do they have any like uh, actors listed for you? Yep. Well, tell me who it is. I have I I don't know anything about this. Liam Neeson. Lee. Okay. Liam Neeson is going to be uh, uh, Detective Frank. I don't know how. I, eh, it it could go well. It could. I. I don't know. It's. It's. It's going to be a change from the, uh, the, the direct to DVD, direct to streaming films that Liam Neeson's done recently. A lot of like the ones that aren't so great. So it'll be a change. I'm. Ex- I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I know the you know, the original Naked Gun is you know wonderful. Le- Leslie Nielsen is great. For sure. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the release date is uh July 18th of next year. Wow, that uh, that's crazy. I mean, my dad will be so stoked because he loves the Naked Gun movies. Um, but I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, I don't know how Liam Neeson 
I, I mean, fantastic actor, uh, really good in, in super, you know, uh, dramatic roles. Um, but leaning into that, that comedy side, I mean, I guess he was like, he was in that one, the bit for like, what was it? Ted or Ted two. I don't remember. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he could, he could definitely pull it off. Um, but, uh, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but as long as it's like, you know, better than some of those, those reboot of the, of those comedy franchises, like for example, just off the top of my head, there was like the direct to streaming um, uh, sequel reboot of um, Coming to America, um, Coming to America Two on Amazon. Right, right, yeah, I remember that. Well, wasn't wasn't a huge fan of that. I mean, it's not a bad movie by any means, um, but it's it's definitely uh, something that it's, it doesn't have that charm um, as the first Coming to America did, um, and, and I kind of feel like. You know, some of those those older comedy films, I, I don't know if it just it doesn't translate as well now. I, I don't know if it's the way, you know, the film industry is or the way like, you know, the the writing is. But I just feel like it, it doesn't doesn't work. And also, like, you know, I mean, I guess this is like a reboot with a different actor. But like, for example, like Coming to America, too, you know, the the actors are much older. You know, it's just it's just different. Um, And I feel like sometimes the, you know those those franchises you know just kind of leave them alone um but uh but i'll definitely i'll definitely agree yeah i'll definitely give it a shot i mean i didn't even know that was happening so that's that's definitely huge news um it's it's pretty exciting i mean i a big fan of the the naked gun franchise so yeah i actually saw the news earlier today and i'm like huh so i i remember vaguely hearing about it at one point but it's like i said it's been stuck in developmental hell for you know 15 years so but uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of exciting news. You know, I'm I'm never the biggest fan of you know rebooting some of these older franchises, but you know, I mean, the worst thing that we can say is, well, it sucked. That's true. I mean, any any film that's being made, I guess, is uh, is a positive uh, if you look at it with with that type of mentality. I guess. So. I mean, that's how you have to. I mean, that's how I would you know how I would always look at it. Just. You know, any film coming out is great unless it's, you know, there's like obviously glaring issues like, you know, you know, either on set or things have come out, you know, something like that. But it's always just the worst thing that could happen. Is, wow, this was awful. Yeah. Uh, well, in other news, um, this is this is the news I know you're you're really excited about because you love bad movies. Um, the Criterion Collection apparently is um, going to add some Golden Raspberry Award uh, winning films. Um, uh, for those who don't know, the Razzies are uh, the honor for the worst films in uh, for that year, uh, essentially the Oscars for bad movies. And uh, so the films that are going to be added um, are Cruising, Heaven's Gate, Xandu, uh, Under the Cherry Moon, Ishtar, Cocktail, Showgirls, um, Barbed Wire. Uh, interesting enough, uh, the Blair Witch Project, which I, I mean, I've never seen it, um, uh, but I would say that, you know, maybe it's not the best movie ever, but I, I don't know if it really deserves to be a Razzie just because of its like cultural impact and kind of starting that movement for those like found footage, like POV type of you know, films, uh, but definitely, uh, interesting ad. Um, your favorite film, Freddie got fingered. Uh, 
I yep. pretty got fingered actually on DVD. Yeah, that's that's the the movie I was I was talking to you uh, before the show. Um, and then uh, swept away, Geely, and then the Wicker Man, um, t- uh, the two thousand six one. Okay, you said Xandu. Spell that for me. It's a X A N. Yeah. Oh, Xanadu. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Xanadu, my bad. Uh, with uh, uh, Olivia Newton-John. Okay. The soundtrack is great. I love the soundtrack. I was not a fan of the music. Gotcha. But the, the music is great. I mean, recommend you to listen to the soundtrack of it, if you haven't. Okay, so is it is it like a movie about Olivia Newton-John? I mean, she's like the main actress in it. Okay, interesting. Uh, I'll have to give it a shot. I guess I got to check it out. Um, but that was that was my big uh, film news. Um, anything else uh, you got on your radar? Uh, Dune two coming out this weekend. Yeah, Dune uh-huh. is gonna be exciting. I need to rewatch the first one. It's been a while, but still, I've it's gotten really great reviews. I know it's really highly rated on the Rotten Tomato. Very very exciting. We've been waiting for this. No, you know, got delayed because of the strikes last year, but very very hyped for it. Yeah. Um. I, I'm very excited. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to watch it this weekend, um, and probably it's a good thing because I know the crowds will be uh, insane um, just because this is very um, hyped up and anticipated. But uh, but yeah, Dune. Pardon me for the popcorn bucket. Oh no, not the not the popcorn bucket. Um, but yeah, uh, Dune Part Two uh, coming out this weekend, and it's definitely going to be really really good. Uh, I don't know how it will do um you know on the awards landscape but i I think you know in pop culture and just you know general public opinion it's getting great reviews and i think uh you know some people have said it's the best sci-fi um in the last decade um which it's pretty crazy crazy to think i mean i'm trying to think like in this decade the 2020s i guess there hasn't been like a landmark you know, sci-fi movie. Uh, I guess maybe like, you know, uh, Avatar, um, The Way of Water, I guess. I would say that the first one was more of a landmark, you know, big cinematic uh, sci-fi film. Um, Trying to think, what are other... If you want to come everything everywhere all at once, with, if you want to consider that a sci-fi? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be it could be considered that. Um, it's like sci-fi adjacent, I, I guess. Um, I mean, everything everywhere all at once is kind of a lot of genres at once it's a lot of them mixed together so i mean you can call it sci-fi you can call it this thing that thing a little bit of all of them for sure um actually funny enough i'm looking at an article um for uh sci-fi movies of uh the 2020s and everything everywhere all at once is is on there so um that's probably the landmark sci-fi movie i mean and you got like I mean, it's it's sci-fi adjacent. I don't know if I would consider superhero movies sci-fi. I mean, I guess they do have sci-fi themes, but um, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, you know, I guess could be considered sci-fi. Um, I mean, you got Dune Part One, uh, Poor Things, which I still need to watch. Um, uh, nope, um, that's that that was a, a really good sci-fi horror movie. Um, no, I've not seen Nope. I, I do. I know it's streaming somewhere at the moment. I just have not gone around to watching. I really want to. Yeah. Uh, I want to say is it streaming on Max? I could be wrong though. Peacock. Yeah. Um. Definitely. Definitely give it a shot. It's a. It's a really, really interesting film. Um. I think, you know, 
it, it's in my opinion maybe one of one of the more weaker uh stories for Jordan Peele um personally but I think that there's like certain sections where which are like fantastic they just like you know really um you know jump out to you um but but then a lot of the movie is kind of shrouded in this like mystery and and you know subtle tones and and you know references and everything um but uh but yeah, Nope, Nope is great. I think you know, just the cinematography for it is is fantastic, um, and and you got some great um, performances in it as well. So definitely give it a shot. I, I enjoyed it, and we'll have to add it to my list, my ever growing list of movies I want to watch. Yeah, um, but yeah, Dune Part Two definitely something to to check out, especially if you um, like sci fi films. Uh, but I, I think it's a uh, it's gonna be a good one, um, and and I'm I'm excited, uh, you know, for the rest of this this franchise to kind of play out. But I think it's really cool that um, uh, the director uh, Dennis Vinoueva, um, he uh, is kind of taking his time for Dune Part Three. He doesn't want to rush it, which is something that happens a lot in Hollywood. I feel like people just kind of push movies out to get the money, and he really wants to do it right and and you know put put the best foot forward, which is I think is great. No, yeah, I agree definitely. So many films get rushed out into Hollywood nowadays, especially when it's like a big, like you know, a big franchise that they're trying to create. Which you know, which is what they're dealing with, dude. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's about all the news I had. Um, anything else? I mean, just some other you know basic films coming out. Driveway Dolls, I think, is coming out. If it's if it's not already out, I, I it's already out. Is it okay? Yeah. That, you know, that's out finally after getting getting delayed from you know the middle of last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh. I definitely want to give that one a watch. I've heard it's it's kind of mixed reviews, um, uh, but it, it, it's you know a Ethan Cohen movie, and I, I think it's definitely something um, to give a shot. So I'm excited to to try to see that in theaters. Definitely, I'll have to you know find some time, find some time to go to theaters and watch it, along with the everything else I got to watch. That's the thing about watching movies. There's always another one. Yeah, there's always more to be watched. Yeah, for sure. Especially nowadays, I feel like, you know, there's just so much streaming. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple series I want to give a shot. Um, Shogun on uh, by FX that's on Hulu right now uh, is getting, yeah, it's getting great reviews. Um, so I I wanna I wanna give that a shot. Um, so lots lots of stuff, lots of stuff. It helps when there's you know new things coming out every week, new things going to streaming. You you'll never run out of something to watch. All right. Well, it's, that's the end of that. Well, I think we are at the end of our show. But, Chris, before we go, I have one thing for you. All right. What is it? Call it our closing game. Let's start. Let's do it. Start, bench, cut. Chris, three films. Okay. Any, do it in any way you want, whether just, you know, technically or just how much you love these films. Uh, however you want to do it. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Your first film. It's going to be The Dark Knight. Okay. Second film is The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And your third film is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, you picked pretty much my favorite films ever. Um, I'm sure you looked at my letterbox uh, top films. <laughs> um, man. Uh, okay. I think... Personally, I'm just gonna go personally, not like you know maybe it, it it's it's rating in in the film industry or, or it's 
cultural impact or whatever. Personal rating, I think I'm going to do... Um, I think I'm going to do Empire Strikes Back. Huge Star Wars fan, so uh, that's that's number one. That's start. Um, bench, man, it's a toss-up because I love Into the Spider-Verse, but I also really like the Dark Knight. Um, it's my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Um, I'm I'm going to bench the Dark Knight. Uh, I feel like I've just watched it more. Uh, granted, it's a little older than Into the Spider-Verse. And I, I unfortunately, I guess I'll have to cut um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But uh, yeah, uh, that's a that's a hard, hard list. And it could go any way and I probably would be happy. So that 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 that's kind of how I was thinking you would go, you know, starting vetching, cutting what he did. Kind of what I was picturing whenever I uh, whenever I picked those out for you. Yeah. So I know how much you love all three of those. Why I did it? For sure. Yeah. You you really made it difficult for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's probably what I would do. Um, I just I've, I've I've watched Empire way too many times, and it's just a great movie. It's it's fantastic. Love it. You know, every Star Wars fan loves that movie. Obviously. Well, I think that's that's gonna wrap us up for the very first episode of Strictly Real. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and I'm excited to uh, to go on this adventure with you, and you know, talk about films throughout the episodes. It'll be very exciting. You know, we've talked about doing this for a while, and to finally sit down and do it, I'm excited to keep going. You want to tell them uh, what we're gonna do next episode? Of course. So, for those of you that are wondering, you know, like Chris said, we pick these randomly. Uh, there's a wheel online that has every picture winner. We spun the wheel before the, uh, this episode went up, and it landed on The Sting from 1973. So, next episode, that's what you'll hear us covering. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've been wanting to watch this thing for a while. Um, every time I went to Target... Uh, a couple of months ago, granted, their physical media section is dying, and that's very sad to me. But um, every time I went to Target, I always saw a steelbook of the Sting, and I was re- always tempted to get it because it looked really cool. Um, so I'm excited to to give the movie a shot and see why it won Best Picture in 1973. Awesome. All right, well, that'll do it. You know, Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Yeah, thanks. See you next time.